Well, hello, everyone. It is Monday, November 16th. We have had another weekend of excitement in this this country. We're all trying to unify together right now. <laughs> in case you haven't noticed, we're all unifying. Uh, all of the uh, attacks on the uh, mega um, parade uh, over the weekend in D.C., there was the Million MAGA March, I think they called it, and uh, perfectly peaceful. There were just no no uh, uh, violent altercations of any sort until the sun went down and Antifa and Black Lives Matter came out. And then we got, boy, a flurry of clips that were just so, um, well, uh, diverse. Um, a handful of clips that were uh, very disturbing, obviously, you know, a anytime someone's picking a fight on other people. But of course, you know, we have the uh, Capitol Police in D.C. who were uh, routing Trump supporters through, you know, they're blocking off streets, basically, so that the Trump support, you know, there's several videos that were making the rounds that I'll talk about a little bit Um and we'll move on to other things, but, um, you know, one of these obviously is a clip that showed a Trump supporter uh, walking away and being punched in the back of the head and basically knocked to the concrete or knocked to the asphalt, um, and his head was bleeding really, really badly. This is the one that news networks have been showing, and um, people like Brian Stelter at CNN have been showing a, a video that is selectively edited a few seconds before that that show this Trump supporter. You know, the framing of this is the Trump supporter is the one that instigated this. So it shows someone, you know, a, uh, a, a leftist uh, chasing after this Trump supporter with a bullhorn, and then the Trump supporter turns around and basically shoves him. And, uh, and you know, of course, now that clip is selectively edited too. That said, shoving someone in a street is a far cry from punching someone in the back of the head and potentially causing internal bleeding and death. Um, so that is what we're dealing with, of course, to the media. It doesn't matter because they are the enemy of the people. Say it with me. Um, other clips this weekend, including... Um, you know, a couple looked like maybe college age uh, uh, boy and a girl who were trying to walk through some streets in D.C. Uh, after this million mega march. And boy, if you saw some of the aerial photos of this, um, there is no doubt that there are a lot of conservatives out there and they are energized and activated and they are not uh, going to take this um, this this stealing of an election we'll get into that that's loaded language a little bit because we don't know for sure for sure that it's been stolen but um we do know for sure there is a lot of fraud happening and a lot of corruption and people that are are purposely defying the law uh including orders from judges um so these are the types of things that send people to jail we, I, I do think this is going to be a big week for that stuff, but, um, but it started off with, uh, this Saturday, that million mega March. And, you know, the video that I'm talking about now is these two kind of college age, you know, boy and girl trying to make their way through and just people in the crowd that are just, you know, bursting out of this, you know, the, the, the kind of chaos of 
the mob and just like attacking these people and, you know, throwing uh, liquids of some sort, colored liquids at them, throwing, hurling objects at them. It's just, it's, it's uh, really disgusting. And I think Ron DeSantis has the right idea in Florida. He announced last end of last week that he was going to introduce some measure that allowed people to shoot looters and rioters. Um, and I think that is 1,000% the correct answer because that is what puts an end to this real fast. We've already gotten to the point where it's fairly normal to go tear up your city anytime there's some court case that you don't like about some, you know, some uh, uh, black man who was shot by police. Uh, this is not, you know, uh, there was a great uh, episode of the Joe Rogan experience a couple days ago. There are not that many of these anymore, so I'd encourage you to check these out. But Dave, uh, uh, sorry, Joe had uh, uh, Dave Smith on, uh, Libertarian, as a podcast called Part of the Problem. I would encourage you to check that out. And they started talking about um, the this kind of mob behavior and how normalizing it has become just over the past six months or so. And now there's this kind of this this permissiveness uh, by the police. You know, they'll come out, you know, and, and do their little, you know, stand on the corner routine if they're the police. And look, if you charge with the police there, they'll beat your ass. But if you're just going to be looting stores and uh, and breaking shit that's down the street, they're going to look the other way and just let you uh, let you tire yourself out. That's the strategy in most of these big cities. And that's unacceptable. The acceptable way of dealing with this is for the people who are breaking the law to be stopped by good people that have guns. And look, it could be good people without guns, but, you know, I'm all for empowering the good people, period, end of story. So the good people, in my mind, should all carry guns. Just in case uh, anything goes down, they have the ability to protect themselves. That is the equalizer here. Um, otherwise, some mob can get a hold of you. And look, we saw that a few months ago when we had, you know, basically uh, Trump supporters who went to a some Antifa Black Lives Matter rally, and this guy was attacked, and uh, uh, he ended up reaching for a gun as he was being attacked, and f- you know, fired off a couple rounds. I don't know actually if it hit anyone. No one, no one died. But uh, he fired off a couple rounds, and boy, that whole group of people backed right the fuck up. There is nothing like carrying a weapon if you want to equalize something like this and stop violence. That is what stops violence, is you must have the ability to defend yourself. So that is what um, I, I, I really, really think that's the answer. Everyone should be armed. Everyone should be armed. And the people who are too irresponsible with that weapon and are going to do dangerous things, well, that sorts itself out real quick, doesn't it? And then we're free of those people who uh, were um, willing to go destroy and do damage. You know what they call those people? Evil. They call those people evil people. We shouldn't put up with that. So what Ron DeSantis is doing, I think, is the right call. That is the way you put an end to this. I also think that his support of Donald Trump through this voter fraud thing um, has really made him a front runner for 2024. Um, if if it isn't Trump who's running now, I'm of the opinion now 
here's where I think we are in in uh, in all of the review of different states. There is a there's law. It's called um, lawfare, and it basically is is you know legal speak for its law. It's warfare with law, so it's lawfare. It's kind of a stupid word, um, but that's what's happening right now in a lot of these different states. You have had. I think Arizona was um, called for Biden. I think that means that they were trying to certify that. So there are, are you know, legal things in play there. But most of what the Trump team's strategy has been to date has been to try to um, slow down, really slow down the process of certifying a lot of these states. And, you know, in Georgia, the, the latest news uh, as of today, Monday, November 16th, is that uh, Georgia is not auditing many of the mail-in ballots for the signatures that are required on these ballots. So um, they're now calling on, you know, the Secretary of State and uh, Brian Kemp, a Republican there, to stand up and try to, you know, do the right thing here. Hopefully um, he does, because I think the the people of any state deserve to understand exactly how these votes have been tallied, especially when there's doubt about a lot of these things being tallied. And look, just from the innocent mistakes that have been admitted so far, I mean, this is, every every part of this should be transparent. The idea that you still have this black box that everyone's vote goes into, and then there's, you know, all kinds of gears and, you know, people with nefarious motives calculating secretly how all of these ballots come in, and then they just export for you a number the number of people that voted for a certain thing, and you're supposed to trust that that black box is doing is true. It's not. It's not. There's a reason that they buy this insane software to tabulate all of this stuff, and it's because it gives them all kinds of flexibility in how to manipulate things. It's not just because oh well, this is the best way we can do addition. A voting of, you know, counting up the votes. No, this is because this software offers them tools, utilities that they can manipulate what's coming in to their advantage. I think we're going to see a lot of that this week. Uh, this is my big prediction. It's Monday, November 16th. I'm going to predict by the end of this week, we will see some damning proof of... Uh, and maybe by the middle of next week. But then we're starting to get into the Thanksgiving time period. So we'll see how that goes. I mean, look, that could work to Trump's advantage as well. But um, I think we're going to see damning proof of voter fraud happening this uh, this week. We're going to see a lot of this coming out. What we have seen so far, I think, has been... Um, fairly small scale, with the exception of what we talked about a couple episodes ago about uh, what's going on in the state of Michigan. Um, that is regarding this same voting software, Dominion Voting Systems. Um, it's been interesting. The company has come out, and they have said, um, you know, when people have blamed software for different things, they have said, no, it's not the software, it's something else. And the media, of course, which is reporting without any criticism, without any skepticism, what uh, 
election officials have been saying in different states, they are not, there's a conflict there, but they're not investigating whatsoever because the corporate press is the enemy of the people. So, uh, but what I think we've seen a lot of so far is these suits that are intended to slow down the process. Look, they're having to basically take on the biggest legal case, um, among the biggest legal cases in all of American history, and they've been having to do this for now 13 days, 12 days. This is a pretty quick case to have to, you know, gather all the materials of. Usually, just being able to gather material, request materials from the state, for instance, on on uh, on voters, is something that's going to take a minimum of 30 days. And in this case, they've gathered all of that stuff within 12. Right now, we're on day 12. The start of day 12 tomorrow is uh, is going to, and not even that. That's assuming that that is uh, that the ele- we had a a winner on election night. We didn't. We didn't really know what was even going on after election night. So, um, but look, 12 days, 11 days. This is pretty impressive what they've done. Sidney Powell, uh, one of the attorneys on Trump's team. This is not a, you know, a lot of people look at Rudy Giuliani and they say, this is a guy who's, you know, out of touch. He's a little unhinged. He's a little crazy. Yeah, he's a little crazy. I think it's safe to say that. However, this is a guy who shut down organized crime in New York City when it was such a mess in New York City that people didn't want to live there. It was, uh, it was, it was crime ridden. It was, um, I mean, you know, for many younger people now, the closest thing that you have to to what New York City used to be is in movies when you see Gotham City, <laughs> when Batman is in Gotham City. And the reason that that myth about Gotham City got started, you know, of course, Gotham City, it, New York is called Gotham. Um, so that's just a synonym for, for uh, New York City. But the reason that New York City became the the place where Batman was so needed, you know, and this is now one of the greatest superhero myths that has ever existed. You know, I think arguably the greatest superhero story there is, one that will will last for centuries, um, the one, the story of Batman, as opposed to the millions of other superhero stories I don't think will, will stand the test of time. Um, I don't know that we'll be talking about Deadpool <laughs> in in uh, in ten years, much less in a hundred. But Batman is going to be around for a long time, and the reason this myth was so powerful is because everybody, when Batman was getting started, everyone knew that New York City was a cesspool of crime, organized crime specifically, and corruption all the way through the gears of government, private industry, you know. New York City, even in the 70s, 80s, organized crime owned all of these businesses. So you had, if you wanted to, you know, start a business in New York City, you had to do business with the construction companies that were all owned by the mob. How insane is that? So Rudy Giuliani came in. He came in with, um, with you know, proposals to basically be able to hold anyone who's a member of these organized crime um, cartels, these these mafias, uh, accountable for the actions of other people that are part of this this um, organization, and he did it. He succeeded. He cleaned up New York City 
it became a, um, uh, a, a, a city that people wanted to visit again, that tourists would visit again, that had lots of money coming into it again. It was thriving. It was flourishing. And then, of course, uh, 9-11 happened, and Rudy Giuliani, really, that's what most people now know Rudy Giuliani for. This was kind of his, his second act in life. And he um, really led the rebound of New York City after 9-11 and became a hero for that. I mean, he ran for president in 2008 or 2007, I guess. And, uh, and you know, he was one of the early favorites to be president. Now, it didn't turn out that way. There obviously were other things that happened. I think one of the most um, brutal takedowns that I saw of Rudy Giuliani you know, because he still is very much kind of a boomer con in a lot of ways. He believes that big government is is uh, is something that is good. And look, if it's someone that's run a government like like you know New York City, um, then having a good person in control of all of that stuff is very refreshing. It means that you know it's not just bad people in control. You do have the ability to make some difference. But uh, Rudy Giuliani, I think, really met his end when. Ron Paul questioned him at the debates, at the Republican debates, and it ended Rudy Giuliani's campaign effectively. And uh, that went on to, you know, in 2008, ended up being John McCain, which was such a terrible choice for um, the Republican candidate. And the only reason that John McCain had any lifeblood at all. I mean, he was such a boring, old, stale, safe pick from the Republican Party that just came together when they didn't have anyone else. I mean, this is the weakest the Republican Party had maybe ever been. You could argue, well, no, I, I would say that's about right. Because, you know, it was around 2010 or so when a lot of the um, a lot of the Tea Party stuff started to really break out into something that, you know, had its own steam, became its own movement. But John McCain became, became the Republican uh, presidential nominee. And, of course, he brought in Sarah Palin because she was young. She was female. It was, you know, the demographic game. She was young. She was female. She, you know, was fairly refreshing um, for a time, especially in comparison to John McCain, who was dull and boring and— um, and yeah, I mean, they there was a lot of conflict there because Sarah McC Sarah Palin was very difficult to control, and the McCain campaign did not like that one bit. She she famously went rogue several times and uh, did things that were maybe not the smartest thing. Um, well, I, I could say objectively, were not the smartest thing, but um, but you know that was the last time. I think that was when the Republican Party was at its weakest, and it reached in order to try to get Sarah Palin. Um, and and uh, that was really all they had. So um, then the Tea Party comes around, um, and uh, Paul Ryan kind of has his moment. Ted Cruz kind of has his moment. Rand Paul um, enters Congress. So you have this new kind of group of people that is a little bit more libertarian-oriented. They're focused a little bit more on the debt. They're focused a little bit more on spending, especially as Obama at this point is starting to really um, increase budgets significantly. And uh, then that leads to 2012, and um, the Republican Party nominates the 
extremely boring Mitt Romney, um, who you'll remember now is a hero because he didn't like Trump. But back then he was a Nazi. He was a Nazi specifically because he once remarked to a fundraiser event that 47% of people in the country don't pay taxes, which, you know, is racist, um, I think, or maybe it's sexist, or maybe it's, uh, I'm not sure what it is. Anyway, it, it was not, it makes him a Nazi. Um, they called him a Nazi. They mocked Mitt Romney endlessly for his comment about having binders full of female uh, people to be in his cabinet if he becomes president. The media mocked him for this. Um, while now, in the last, you know, six months or so, Joe Biden says, well, I don't know who I'm going to pick for vice president, but it's definitely going to be a woman. It's definitely going to be a black woman. Okay. So it's the exact same playbook as what uh, Mitt Romney did, but we are looking at that as progressive now. Um, so it's just interesting to see all of these kind of patterns now, now, uh, now coming to, um, 2020, where we have a split, we have two different narratives happening right now. In one of these, you have Joe Biden, who is the president elect. And, you know, those, those, that half of the country, maybe a little more than half, of the country says, okay, Joe Biden appears to have won this thing, so we're going to go with that narrative here and and start to assume that you know Trump's on borrowed time. The other side of this is Trump saying, no, 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 no. This election has um, several major fraudulent actions that are happening, and that is where Rudy Giuliani comes in and and Sidney Powell as well. And this is the the way I wanted to differentiate between those two because Rudy Giuliani is is thought of as being kind of kind of you know weird and you know sometimes exaggerating things and sometimes being um, more flamboyant in the way he presents things that you know and sometimes maybe does that does a disservice to the actual evidence. Now you know you would look at something like the Hunter Biden um, stuff, which Rudy Giuliani was involved in. Uh, disseminating after the FBI did nothing, um, after uh, even, you know, when there are these, um, when, you know, Trump is being impeached and you have the FBI involved in investigating Ukraine and Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, they don't say a peep about this information that they had already captured. You know, they had every single one of Hunter Biden's emails at this time. And they were, people at the FBI were interviewed about this and they didn't say a thing. They protected the Bidens at all costs. So you now have this, this point where um, it's very clear that the, the you know, kind of main narrative, if you are to give the corporate press so much credit, um, they are the enemy of the people. But the main narrative here is, okay, well, it looks like Joe Biden won. Boy, it's pretty close. And if you can flip a couple of those states, this gets really contested really fast. I still think that there is a 51% chance that Donald Trump pulls this out um, because it doesn't require that much. It doesn't require that much at all to be able to flip the results of this. 
A uh, couple other things to talk about just while we have a few minutes at the end of the show. I do think, you know, this week's going to be a big week. We'll be talking about the things that are happening. So um, this show may be a little shorter than than uh, than others. But um, Glenn Greenwald had a very interesting post um, yesterday over the weekend. And um, he, is, he wrote an article. You know, he left The Intercept. We talked about that in a previous episode. But he left The Intercept and... Um, now is writing on Substack, and which is you know a platform you can support writers that you like. It's kind of a, a Patreon model in many ways. And he put out an article that said the three great. This is the headline: the three greatest dangers of Biden Harris: militarism, corporatism, and censorship. All fueled by indifference. This was really interesting and I think cuts to the core of a lot of the problems that people have with Joe Biden and and Kamala Harris both. Um, One is the militarism. The the never Trumpers and the Joe Biden campaign are are one in the same now. They've recognized that the Donald Trump brand of you know republicanism is anti-war. And this will not work for them. So they ha- they they want us to be, um, and us meaning the United States. They want the United States in military conflicts around the world because they see the United States as the most powerful entity. No one's gonna fuck with us, and therefore, if we station bases around the globe, we get better deals, better terms from everyone just through the extortion of being in the region and people being afraid to, um, you know, let's say negotiate trade agreements fairly with us. And Donald Trump has been against that. In fact, it came out over the weekend that um, Donald Trump's military advisors have been lying to him about how many troops there were stationed in Afghanistan. And instead of saying, of revealing correctly to Donald Trump that there are tens of thousands still there, he was being told that there were hundreds there. Well, this led to Donald Trump basically cutting all of those um, people at the Pentagon, firing them, and several others left in in their own kind of um, uh, fury about this incident. And um, I wish this wasn't happening at the end of this term. I really wish this had been happening much earlier, but Donald Trump installed a new um, acting head of the um, Department of Defense who announced that they are going to be bringing all of the military people home from these conflicts that are unnecessary. Well, this really is pissing off the deep state. Um, They want military conflict. They want to use the military to try to uh, strengthen the United States' bargaining bargaining chips around the world. So I, I think Glenn Greenwald identifying militarism as a huge problem in the Democratic Party. And again, you know, at least eight years ago, they didn't say that. You know, at least with, or 12 years ago with Barack Obama, they pretended that they were anti-war. They're not doing that now. They will be starting a war in Syria. They'll be continuing a war in Yemen that Barack Obama started. They're going to be ramping up troops to different regions. This is we will have more war. That is the the one policy move that Donald Trump 
I think has been very successful with is he hasn't started a war. And that's something that every president has basically done, um, at, at, you know, in all of this past century. So um, and that's unacceptable. We can't be starting wars all the time. Um, this is the military industrial conflict, uh, military industrial complex, excuse me. And that is something that really no presidents have. I, I don't think Donald Trump has has uh, no president since Dwight D. Eisenhower, who coined the term in his farewell address, coined the term military industrial complex and warned, you know, said there are all of these industry, you know, these companies now who will only make money if we're in conflicts with different people. It's not as simple as they want to go kill people, but they also need to look out for their own livelihoods. So if you're on the edge about whether to go to war in some place, a lot of these companies now have an incentive to literally send lobbyists to make the strongest possible arguments why you should definitely go to war. So it is creating these incentives for the government to then take action and based on, you know, people who have ulterior motives. This is the military industrial complex. Otherwise, a lot of these companies, like big companies sometimes, Halliburton, Boeing, these are companies that would fail. They would not be able to, to, uh, to keep up if not for the United States government propping them up. And Donald Trump is the only president since Eisenhower in the 50s to actually use the phrase military-industrial complex. The only president, Barack Obama, when he was campaigning, made a big deal about, you know, peace, but never uttered that phrase military-industrial complex. In fact, he started a war in Yemen that killed children um, by the thousands. This is really um, the idea that Barack Obama should be um, viewed with any amount of admiration is really sickening. He's a war criminal. Um, let's see. A couple other things I just wanted to talk about. Um, you can follow us. We've been a lot more active at Downwokeness on Twitter. Um, while that lasts, <laughs> we'll be working on uh, on Parlor, I guess, after that. But a lot of most of the audience is still on Twitter for now, so um, we will go there until we we get slapped with a couple suspensions and then can't come back. But um, there are um, R Richard Grinnell, who is the uh, first um, openly gay cabinet member in U.S. history. Um, appointed by Donald Trump. I think he's also one of these people that might be a contender for future political office. He's very libertarian-oriented. Um, he tends to be very um, economic-oriented. Uh, um, so he, he, But he's really been viciously attacked by the left. And, uh, and so he's been active um, on Twitter in the last few days. And... Um, has uh, I think he's a good follow for a lot of the things that he's been talking about, but um, he's been sharing a bit of the hate that he's getting from mainstream members of of uh, of the public, you know. And a lot of these are journalists. A lot of these are people who have their own TV shows. They think that they because they have a TV show that gives them the credentials to chime in on policy things, um, and uh, instead of doing that, they end up really 
taking personal shots at uh, Rick Grinnell, R-I-C Grinnell. You can look him up. He's It's Richard Grinnell on Twitter. Um, but one of these examples is a uh, writer, John Ralston is his name, claims to be a journalist, but he's more of a blogger. And uh, Richard Grinnell spread this out to his his viewers on or his uh, audience on Twitter yesterday. It was this Biden blogger, John Ralston, who created a list of who he wants to punish for not having his views. And Richard Grinnell says this is not um, journalism. It's scary intolerance. Uh, this also flies in the face of this idea of, well, we need unity. You're calling for unity while you're calling all you know Trump supporters Nazis. You know, and say that these are people that we can't compromise with, and then you're urging unity. How does that work? How do you square that circle? So, what John Ralston um, wrote was basically, you know, he created a list, um, but he wanted to assign political scarlet letters, and they used those exact words to um, to explain this. And his his quote, John Ralston's quote. Um, at Ralston reports on Twitter that the efforts of Team Trump have been embarrassingly inept and unhinged does not mitigate the imperative for there to be some kind of reckoning when a band of malefactor, malefactors, <laughs> evildoers, attempts to sway public opinion with misdirection and misinformation. Oh no, they must be punished. He continues, and thicken the froth of the president's rabid adherence with conspiracy theories and outright falsehoods. Boy, is this overwritten. John Ralston continues, I wrote a thing naming names of those who should be tainted for life for trying to undermine faith in Nevada's election or standing on the sidelines as it happened. This is the same group calling for unity. Don't be fooled by this. They want you dead, but will settle for your submission. As Michael Malice says, they want you dead, but will settle for your submission. Don't give them either. Talk to you all in the next episode.